Welcome to SKUcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs in the promotional products industry. SKUcast shines a light on our industry's best work, features maverick personalities, and discusses what's really involved in running a modern promotional products business. SKUcast is the official podcast of Common SKU. Often in a business, you'll hit a ceiling. All of a sudden, you go from a million to three to six to 10. Things are just humming along. And then you can't get to the next the next level. And it's like, what's going on? You're working all the time. You're frustrated. What you'll find is usually there's a key individual that was critical to that growth. Whether it was your visionary or your integrator, or it's, it's your owner or entrepreneur, it's, it's, it's one person that just was the company. That's a very, very major concern from a business risk. Lori Cates began her career with Vitronic as the controller in 1996 and worked her way up through various roles, including sourcing, customer service, leading the IT department, vice president, general manager, and in 2011 was promoted to president of Imagine Brands, Vitronic, and Crown. Named ASI Supplier Woman of Distinction in 2013, she has been listed on the Counselor Power 50 for the past four years. Today, Imagine Brands is an industry top 40 supplier with 600 employees and over 70 million in revenue. We chat with Lori today about EOS, the entrepreneurial operating system based on the book Traction by Gina Wickman. And we discuss how EOS has impacted their business. Lori is also running for the PPAI board. You can visit Lori's Facebook page at facebook.com slash vote Lori K. That's facebook.com slash vote L-O-R-I-K. Voting opens September 8th. Today's episode is courtesy of CommonSkew, the effortless business management platform that empowers you to process more orders and grow your business. For more information or to start your free trial, visit commonskew.com. I'm Bobby Leehew, the Chief Content Officer at CommonSkew, and you're joining us in the conversation when I ask Lori about the time she was offered the CEO position at Imagine Brands. When our general manager uh, decided he was going to retire, he approached me and said, I think you should throw your ring in the hat or your hat in the ring. And, um, you know, I think you could do this. And I was like, wow, really? You know? And were, you, were you concerned? Were you nervous? Was that? Maybe it was because I was young, but I had it in my mindset that accounting was, that's, that was, that was what I was going to do. That's what I went to school for, you know? And, right. and kind of branching out from that wasn't supposed to happen. So I think it was more of a, a shock from there, but, um, I had a, a, a mentor, I, I would say, um, her name was Madi Pena and she was in the industry. She's, she's not anymore, but she was in sales and marketing, fantastic lady. And she pulled me aside and she's like, why, why wouldn't you try this? And I'm like, yeah, you're right. You know, I, I mean, I, I, I could do this. I mean, what do I have to lose? And, um, after, after I kind of like made my mind up, I didn't look back. Isn't that amazing how sometimes all it takes is a gentle nudge Mm -hmm. from someone we respect to make a difficult change. What else did you learn from her? To always learn, always be curious, keep the customer in mind and listen to what the customer has to say. When you are changing with the needs of the customer, you back then you this was under the Vitronic yes. brand name, right? Mm-hmm. How have the needs changed from back then to now? You can just kind of look at the demographics of a distributor now. The evolvement of 
even the e-commerce or the franchisee model from a distributorship, mm. it is much more prevalent today than it was back then. You really have to change your go-to-market strategy to where it's not a one-size-fits-all. You cannot send your sales team out yeah. and approach every distributor the same. That's been a big change since, you know, since the 90s. To clarify then, we've seen this movement toward larger organizations as well as the big base of distributors, which are still independent entrepreneurs. And what has changed is you're trying to serve different types of clients under that umbrella. Yes. Um, that is that has been substantial. It really has. When you and I were talking, one of the topics you were really passionate about is processes. And in particular, you talked about EOS and how it has made an impact on your business. And it's a fairly new initiative for you. Can you explain EOS to our audience? Yeah. E EOS is Entrepreneurial Operating System. And its principles are laid out in a book called Traction. And the book was written by Gino Wickman. And he really takes multiple business strategies and kind of combines them all into one easy, simple format and is also actually providing new tools in how to implement. What I like about it is it allows your organization and your team to just get on the same page. page. Um, everybody's rowing in the same direction. And it's, it's not just, it's not a, a process per se, but it breaks it down into like six elements. People, your vision, data, process, and then of course the traction part and then issues. It allowed our team, which has multiple locations, multiple brands, to communicate better and um, hold one another accountable for what we say we're going to do. It's almost as if this is giving you um, principles that you can point to regardless of the conversation or the meeting you're having. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The first step was we defined our um, our core values, and the core values isn't something that we we use externally from a marketing campaign. It's what we use internally in our evaluation or hiring of the type of people that we want to attract, the type of people that we feel will best excel in our culture or the culture that we want. How we came about those core values is we sat around, we said, who are some of our best people? And we said, describe mm -hmm. their qualities. And we started describing them. And over time, it was the same type of characteristics that started being very apparent. What were some of those characteristics? Embrace and drive change, a can-do right. attitude an entrepreneurial spirit, and the pursuit of growth and learning. Those are the big themes within that. Those qualities would be our ideal type of employee. Isn't it interesting how those aren't necessarily tangible qualities? Mm -hmm. um, we're not talking about capabilities. We're talking about initiative largely, right? Yeah. In part of EOS, it starts with the structure. So how are you going to structure your organization? It usually breaks down into, you know, you have finance, operations, and then your integrator, owner, president, and obviously the sales function. And then once you define the structure of your organization, then you look at the people. It goes back to the right people in the right seats. We call it the people analyzer. 
So you go through and you take your individual employees and you compare them and say, okay, here's, here's our core values. Do they have it most of the time, some of the time, or never? And right. obviously you want to rank more of the most of the time. If you see a bunch of minuses, it's like you probably got a problem. Dealing with that is, it's hard. We, we like to refer to it as 36 hours of pain. When you do what, make, what do you mean 36 hours of pain evaluating? No, 36, like let's say you do identify that you have a people problem. Right. And in a, a people problem may not mean that it's the wrong person. It might be that they're in the wrong position or wrong seat. Right, right. Good so point. you have to evaluate what is the case. Is it just the wrong seat or are they the wrong person and the wrong seat? And of course, you know, this isn't something that you just fill out a piece of paper and you're done with it and you make the decision and that person's gone. You would want to go back to that person and have conversations so they understand what it is that the expectations are and where you feel like they're shortcoming on those those areas yeah. and then have a good conversation. And um, what you may find is that their interest may totally be somewhere else. Um, now, obviously, you want to try to do it on the front end. You want to try to incorporate it in your hiring process. And we actually did that with some of our sales candidates. You know, we had we had a person say, you know what, that's not for me. That's not where I want to be. And we're like, that's fantastic. You know, we found yeah. that out now. Regarding your structure, how did things change when you started to implement EOS into your system? Did your structure change? Did you make some big changes with that? No, I, the the overall structure, I don't think changed. It did on the sales side. You know, we we had a plan on what we thought was the right structure and kind of going through the process and stepping back and saying what makes the most sense. We tweaked it a little bit. So I think on the sales side, um, we definitely, we tweaked it some. Is that an iterative process with the sales side because the industry, of the flux of the industry? Absolutely. And, and like I mentioned before, each segment has a different need. So whereas yeah. you, we may see that we're completely meeting the needs of one segment and we look and say, okay, what about this section? We, we, you know, we're not addressing their needs. One of the key points of EOS is data. What type of data do you use to inform your business decisions? Can you give us an example? From a data perspective, it's, it, it, it's just simplifying it. We refer to it like it's scorecards. So we have a scorecard for Imagine Brands. It's it's just, it's your KPIs. And then we have that at the company level. And then we have each department and there's um, leading and lagging indicators. When we're in our senior management meeting and we have one every week, same time, 90 minutes, we'll start out with reviewing the scorecard and the things that are on there are like if we had to manage the business from an island what were the most important things we needed to understand mm -hmm. to know if we were on the right track or if some things were not quite right and needed needed attention so we're looking at those and then each department does the same thing so the department level and accounting is going to be much more detailed. You know, they may be looking at 
number of transactions they vouched from an accounts payable standpoint, what our average day to collect is, number of days inventory is outstanding, just different things like that. In production, they're looking at on-time delivery. I'm assuming these are also some of your key KPIs. Yeah, the KPIs. Right. You know, typically with most businesses, whether large or small business, there are two or three critical KPIs. What are your KPIs? Well, we have um, obviously a KPI on sales, not only actual, but to budget and then to last year. We'll look at the number of quotes uh, that are open and the likelihood of them coming to fruition. Yeah. Um, Do you have a percentage for that, by the way? Yes and no. <laughs> We're still working on the accuracy of the follow through on that data. Um, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, getting and that's that's a difficult part is a lot of times you may not understand the complete status of it because, you know, we're working with right. a distributor that is obviously um, has a customer. But we try to get the most recent and relevant information updated. So that data right. is constantly evolving. You mentioned on a call that. Um, prior to EOS, you would often dr- address symptoms and not root causes. Can you explain, do you have an example of, of that? It's probably oversimplified, but when an issue comes up, at least this is this is how we were before, and I, I would assume it's probably a lot of businesses, your natural tendency is to quickly try to develop a solution instead of really kind of understanding what the root cause of the situation is. What we try to do is ask why five times before we start solving a problem. And that sounds really easy, but it's a lot harder to really do because <laughs> you just naturally like, oh, this is this is an easy solution. Let's just do this. But is it also because you think you have the answer? It, yeah. Yes. Very true. Mm-hmm. And um, I've found that too. It's like I have that natural tendencies like to kind of try to jump in and solve a problem. Um, yeah, fix it, and, fix it. Yeah, and you actually don't understand what this what it is. So it's like you hold back, and then it's like, ah, oh, okay, I get it. But like an example would be, um, you know, abandoned calls. They're up. So someone says we need to come in. We need to hire more people. That's the solution, right? Well, you ask why is it high, and somebody may say, well, our agents are off the phone. Why are they always off the phone? Well, they're in shipping. Why are they in shipping? Well, we're trying to get tracking numbers on the orders that shipped. Why? Well, the interface between the shipping system isn't that, that loads the tracking numbers isn't working. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, wow, that's a great example. But that's that's really the approach that we try to take to problem solving. And of course, at the department level, you'll get into very specific, detailed type of everyday situations that might be occurring. Whereas right. at the senior leadership team level, um, we would be looking at larger issues. Macro versus micro, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Have your processes changed since implementing EOS or is that something that you're still working through? Well, we're, we're still working through it, but really from a process standpoint, and this was something that I, I assumed going into the book, it was Oh, process. Okay, that's step-by-step instructions of what we're going to do. And it's it's really more of a macro, very high-level approach. And all businesses have core processes, for instance, HR, marketing, sales, operation, and accounting. And, and those are those are typical. But it is really just identifying 20% that really captures 80%. From an HR perspective, it may be... The core values that I spoke of earlier, 
you tie that into your search. So you're defining the role, the job description, the seat. Okay. Remember I mentioned right people, right seat. Then you go into the interviewing and you do the interviewings. Who's going to be involved? Is there going to be a second, a third? Are you going to incorporate your core values and go through that before the offer is even made? Then an orientation, quarterly reviews. How are you going to terminate somebody? So it's like high level concepts right. that says throughout your entire organization, this is how we're going to, we're going to do it. So it, it's, it's more that. Having read the book and adopted many of the principles, what does traction mean to you? I think it means progress. Um, and we're still like very, I would say we were just at the tip of it. It really has everybody understanding what we're doing and why, you know, I start to hear people kind of using the same terminology as, as you're walking through. It's like, okay. That's great. What's also really good about that is you've probably also given voice to many of your more quiet leaders. So in any organization, you'll have strong opinionated people who can stay in the foreground with their opinions and changes. Whereas a a principle-led system like this allows everyone to center around these key points. Absolutely. I've seen that. You have individuals that just by nature, they're, they're quiet, but they're very creative and they're thinkers. And they're, you know, they're not necessarily going to interrupt the individual that's constantly talking. And there's a couple of underlying themes. And one of them is you engage the group to listen, to try to understand what one is saying and appreciate another person's perspective and challenge that they're having instead of coming to a meeting with your mind made up that, by golly, you're going to win your approach. You're going to win your argument. I've seen more open-mindedness. I've also seen where in the past, the team, quite frankly, was too polite like and I don't mean that the intention is have knock down drag out fights but people have a tendency not to really kind of tell you what they really think right they want to um, avoid confrontation yes right? yes yeah. um, so whenever we're going to say something that another person may take the wrong way or may not want to hear we'll start it with with all due love and respect this is going to hurt but I'm going to say it and then yeah. we say it and um, it's encouraged and generated some very good discussments. We like to call them discussments, but <laughs> but I think it's I think it's building a really healthy team. You sound like a very measured and controlled leader, not controlling, controlled. What has EOS meant to your personal peace of mind and well-being? Has this been a relief? Has this introduced a new phase of significant challenges? You sound relieved and um, thankful somewhat for having these new principles that you've interjected into the business. It's funny you say, you know, I'm controlled. I try to be controlled. I have my days where... Don't we all? Yes. (laughs) It's like, woo, today's a doozy. Um, I think for me, and I think for the entire team, it's done a couple of things. It's improved our communication. You have to, and I think this is one of the beautiful things about EOS, often in a business... And I think any business, if you ask any entrepreneur or owner, you'll hit a ceiling. All of a sudden, you go from a million to three to six to 10. Things are just humming along. And then you can't get to the next 
the next level. And it's like, what's going on? You're working all the time. You're frustrated. People don't seem to understand what the other department's doing. What you'll find is usually there's a key individual that was critical to that growth. Whether it was your visionary or your integrator, or it's, it's your owner or entrepreneur. It's, it's, it's one person that just was the company. And, um, you know, that's, that's a very, very major concern from a business standpoint, from a business risk. Not everything can go through that one individual. Your entire organization needs to understand what you're doing, why you're doing it. There's a, a part, I don't think it was in this book, I think it was in Good to Great, but they talk about your organization understanding the framework and where they're allowed to operate. For instance, a pilot. A pilot has to work with air traffic control and they're very skilled. They know what they're doing, but they just don't land the plane wherever they want. But if that pilot starts going in for a landing and it's not safe, that pilot has every right to make do an audible and they abort abort the landing and come back around. And, you know, so that's what the ultimate goal is, is to create a framework where your team clearly understands what decisions would be made on a regular basis because they, they understand the vision and the direction and the priorities of the organization. Um, but they also realize that they're free to make the call when they need to make the call given the circumstances. Do you think it's possible because we don't have more principles that guide our business like this, this is why we hit those ceilings because personalities then rise to the top and then it's personality driven versus principle driven? I, I do. I do. And I think, I mean, you need, you need both. Right. And I don't know if you'd want me to say this, but that's why Dana and I work so well together. Dana's just out there. He's creative and he's, he'll, he'll toss 500 ideas out in a week, but he really doesn't care how it gets done. He pushes me out of my comfort zone. I push him out of his. Right. And, um, you know, in, in those ways, we complement one another. But you also, as as a leader, you know, you have to you have to s- surround yourself with people that are experts. And while a business is small, you know, back in the day is a good example how my career started. I did a little bit of everything. Yeah. I can't do that today. That's impossible for me to think that I can drive all those areas and stay up with really what a true professional that that truly understands the ins and outs of each of those areas could in a day. So I think as your business evolves, you need to kind of do a, a just check yourself. It's like, look, you know, it's not an ego thing. It's it's what's best for the company and step back and surround yourself with people that can take you to the next level. It's very interesting the tension you brought up between, and I mean this in a in a positive way. Mark Ram was interviewing Outstanding Branding and they were talking about their the tension between their partnership as well. And tension, we always tend to think in terms of the negative, but tension, creative tension is very important. And it sounds like that's something you and Dana really have going on. Yeah, we do. We do, you know, and um, it's, it's healthy, you know, and I, I have a yeah. lot of respect for him. He approaches things differently than I would, but, but we 
complement each other well. I have a real quick Dana Zezzo story. Everybody's got a Dana Zezzo story. Here's mine. (laughs) This goes back to about 2008, 2009. We were right in the aftermath of of the economic nightmare, Mm -hmm. right? The economic collapse. We're all searching for answers. And I'm out running with Dana and he talks about the importance of strategic partnerships, not partnership in the word that most of us think in terms of distributor and the most distributors think we think in, we think in terms of vendors and sources, not partners. And I have to say, he's the first person that brought honestly that to my attention, that I understood the ecosystem of my distributorship better in terms of trying to depend further upon my partners and treating them as partners and not merely as resources. It was an interesting, I don't, I'm not doing justice to the moment, but it was, um, but it was two parts. You know, one part is I was more open to hear it, but second, that he had, you know, that he had the guts, of course, to say, you know, treat your partners like partners. Let me ask one more question about EOS before we leave it, actually. Did you have trouble getting buy-in from your team? And if so, or how have you overcome people's reluctance to embrace new methodologies, and do you have recommendations for businesses that are trying to embrace change? We started implementing actually on our own, straight from the book. And at the time, we were looking for a solution to get more out of our meetings. Um, meetings can be painful, right, if, if, <laughs> if they're not right. done well. Um, so we, we started that way, and we really liked the meeting layout and how it was approached. And it, it's, it's called a level 10, 90 minutes, one time a week, and 30 minutes of it is spent just going through problems and trying to discuss those problems and things like that. So once we did that, then we're like, hmm, what else they got in here? And we started looking at other things and we actually worked our, we're working with an implementer um, that comes in and helps us kind of facilitate once a quarter the different parts of the system. So at first it was like, what, you know, we're going to do all this. But as they started to see, and when I say they, it was me and the senior leadership team. When they started to see the progress on our team and they started rolling it out to theirs and people started to see the momentum and how many things we could solve at a time, uh, you started to create some traction there. Um, now we haven't rolled it out all the way through the organization, so we're still we're still implementing that. But one of the things that you know I'm being kind of advised of is give it time and be consistent. Because the first reaction, especially to the entire group, will be, okay, what's what's this flavor of the week or flavor of the month? You know, here comes a new system, mm-hmm. you know, so it'll take some time. It sounds like the senior management team was the pilot group and that in and of itself was a highly visible buy-in or a highly visible testament, if you will, to how important this was going to be for the rest of the organization. True. Let's switch gears a little bit and move to leadership questions. This past year, you were recognized by ASI's The Counselor Magazine as one of the 50 most influential people in the $21 billion industry. What lessons about leadership have you learned that you can pass on to professionals entering the business, or maybe it's professionals who are taking up the mantle of leadership for the first time in their career? From my perspective and over my career, you know, I think that I've evolved more from a manager instead of, you know, kind of directing people what to do to leading. And I think that 
that kind of evolves. I don't believe that leaders are born. I think that you have to learn to be a leader, to serve your team and to get them to understand why and also to understand what it is that that they desire, you know, asking them what they like about what they do, what excites them, having that dialogue back and forth. But I would tell somebody new, you know, work hard, you know, take take time for yourself, um, you know, looking back and kind of reflecting. I think that's one thing that I probably put on the back burner is myself, for sure, especially being, you know, a, an executive, a wife, a mother. I think people in general tend to put themselves last. And then surround yourself with experts in each core function of your business to where the business can run without you. You know, so you can take that vacation without coming back and having two weeks worth of work because you were gone three days. Right. So that, that, I think that would be my advice. With the Imagine Brands, how many employees do you have? We have um, just over 600. Are there big distinctions between the brands in terms of your management and the way the companies operate? There aren't in that um, there's, there's functions that are leveraged across Imagine. For instance, accounting. Accounting serves both brands and there's no distinction between who's doing the work or who's managing that. The same thing with sourcing. Right. The customer service, the production is brand related. So customer service separate for Crown, customer service separate for Vitronic, but order entry, it's the same people. Uh, artwork, for the most part, it's the same people. A, a little bit of it is brand facing, yeah. but the senior management team is leveraged across all brands. Vitronic and Crown, did they merge? Did you purchase Crown? How did that work? And were you at the helm then? I was hired in under the Four Seasons brand. That's going way back. What we were doing back then was we were buying from these little companies called Alpha and Broder <laughs> and, um, you know, T-Shirt City. And we kind of saw the writing on the wall. And we weren't big enough to, you know, buy on our own, you know, to the mills and stuff like that. So we're like, look, this is, you know, wearables is probably not the category we need to be in. And then Vitronic was purchased in 94. And in 96, the general manager at the time combined Four Seasons and Vitronic together. So that's how Vitronic Promotional Group happened. And then in 2000. Let's see, 2005, Edmanco was purchased, um, and that was out of bankruptcy, and we folded the brand into the, we carried the brand for quite some time, and then we kind of folded it into the, the totes and bags on the Vitronic side. And then later that same year, um, Crown was purchased. Now, Edmanco kind of went into the Vitronic side, Crown was on its own. So we were sister companies, but independently operated. And that was back in 05. And then in 2011, that's when we, I, I really started managing both. Was that a big transition for you? Um, I think the biggest part of that is the cultural part. Right. You know, 
prior to that, we were sister companies and the management teams knew each other, but it was more of a like a competitive sibling rivalry. Right. You know, we would, we, we would have meetings and it's like, show me your P&L. No, I'll show you mine. Right. Who's doing better? Right. Um, and, and there's a lot of like natural nervousness when all of a sudden you're bringing two brands together and it's like, okay, sure. well, she was with Vitronic. Is she going to like and favor the people from Vitronic more than the managers from Crown? You know, what is, what is she really like? So there was a lot of just getting to know one another and um, figuring it out as, as, as we go along and kind of building that trust. But I, I had been there already like, cause you know, I was hired in on the Four Seasons side, right. and I experienced some of the same feelings that they felt when it went to the Vitronic side. So I had some empathy and understanding for what everybody was going yeah. through and just being patient. Yeah. I think some of that has to do, I think birth order is really interesting. Where do you fall? I am exactly middle in birth order. There's seven of us. So I had five. Bro- I have five brothers, and I had a sister, or have a sister. And my sister was the oldest. And I'm exactly the middle child, but there's five years between me and my next oldest brother. So I was the baby girl, so I could get anything I wanted from my daddy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I was the middle, and I was the oldest of the second set. So. You know, uh, gotcha. You know, okay. so you, so you you built confidence as well as negotiation skills. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you're running for the PPAI board. Can you tell us why you considered running? Absolutely. You know, I've been around for a while. This industry has been extremely good to me, and I've yeah. really enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's fun. I can't imagine myself being anywhere else but in this industry. And I feel like I've gained a lot of insight over the years, been through a lot of things. I mean, two recessions, um, multiple political administration changes, and sometimes been caught on the wrong wrong end of that. Um, So it's it's just, I'm to a point where I want to give back. And so that's really kind of what's driving it. And, you know, I think that I can see multiple views of a situation. What, what do you think are the most important issues facing suppliers and then also facing distributors? I think we're going to see more uh, more consolidation in the industry. I, I don't think we're going to see complete consolidation where, you know, we're, we're not going to have any small suppliers or distributors anymore. But Are you saying consolidation on both the supplier and the distributor side? Yeah, I think we'll see more of that. You know, and, and that I think is going to be driven primarily because there's a there's a need for scale. You know, um, technology, product safety, investment in capital equipment. It it takes takes a lot of money. But I also think that I don't think you're going to end up with you know a handful of mega suppliers and a handful of mega distributors. But you don't think I, so. I do not know. Um, I think that you. Ha- I think the key thing in all this and how how it's going to play out is. You have to find what's different about your company, whether you're a supplier or a distributor. How are you going to add value? Um, suppliers and distributors, both, we simply cannot just be a product pusher or an order taker. And I think that there's other solutions that if someone simply wants that experience, they're going to find what they need. We have to 
be consultive in our nature and um, understand truly what the client is trying to achieve and bringing them solutions that help them reach those goals. Are acquisitions on your high priority list for Imagine Brands? They are on our priority list. They're in our plan. I think it needs to be in the right place and the right type. Um, you know, there needs to be a, a fit and some of it's all timing too. You know, if a, if a great, great opportunity comes up tomorrow, that's right. Will we strike? Yeah. But, um, you know, we want to do it when, when we're ready from a execution standpoint. There's a lot of rumbling about Amazon and Walmart getting into the business. Does this concern you, first of all, and is, as a corollary question, is the supplier-distributor model fragile or robust? I, I'm still very optimistic on, on the future of the industry. I don't think that we should ignore these, these new trends and, and Amazon and Walmart and Vistaprint. But at the same time, there's always been some new threat. Yeah. And I think what it does is it forces us to up our game and we can't continue to do business the way we are today that we did 20 years ago or how we're going to do it today, how we'll be doing it 20 years from now. Um, but I think all industries change and evolve. It's how you, how you evolve yeah. with that change. Um, and I think that we can learn from other markets and other industries. You know, I don't think that we should say um, and, and just kind of be closed minded to just what's going on within our industry. I think that we can take signs and technologies and different trends from different industries and see how it may apply to ours. I think that that's what will keep us sharp in the future. I always like to ask this question. We have about 10 minutes left. You're sitting across from a new supplier in the business. Let's say she's the CEO of a new startup that has promise, but is still relatively small. Based on your experience, based on what you know now, you have only a few minutes to invest an idea, a concept, or a key principle in their mind to help them. Do you have a story that you would share with them, something significant that happened that changed how you felt about the business? Or do you have a principle that you would share? I don't know that I have a story. I think just maybe from a principle standpoint, I would I would just say, you know, stay humble. You're a part of the company, but it's the people within your organization that will propel it and develop your culture early, very early, you know, implement EOS. That's great advice to develop your culture early. Yeah. And I think the other thing that I would probably add is, Keep it all in perspective. You know, when you have a bad day or you hear bad news, um, it's never as bad as it seems 24 hours from now. <laughs> <laughs> That's the voice of experience talking right there. Yeah. It's easier to say than it is to do, though. <laughs> I love talking with leaders like you, and I think folks are going to be really encouraged by it. And I really appreciate you taking the time to visit with us today. Well, thank you. And thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of SKUcast. Be sure to keep up with our latest content by subscribing to SKUcast on iTunes or to our blog at community.commonskew.com. Until next time, friends. Thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.